Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Benjamin R. Harrison. Ben, it's hours after we recorded the episode for Gambit Part 1. You, having just seen Gambit Part 2. It's fresh in my memory. We're finally on the same level. Feel It feels good to finally be on your level, Adam. <laughs> Get on my level, Ben. <laughs> Oh, having a little pod fluid, are we? Yeah, I figured uh, that may have been the the problem that we thought we were having in Gambit Part 1. Oh, not burpy like, enough? Were we having awkward pod? <laughs> I hate it when that happens. Yeah, maybe we were just in a bad mood or something. I'm feeling great right now. How about you? I'm feeling good. Um, yeah? You know, excited, nervous. Got the big tour coming up, talking greatest Gen Con stuff, and that's, you know, there's nothing more exciting or nervous-making than the idea of throwing a big event like that. Yeah, I thought big events were in the past for me. Yeah. You have a a wedding, and that's over. This is like a nerd wedding. It's like a nerd wedding. It's it's so different, but so similar. And Mm -hmm. the... You know, like the the joke with weddings is that if they find out it's a wedding, every all the prices get multiplied or whatever. And right. We have uh we have been working on a on a way to do greatest gen con that makes it so that it doesn't have to be a way too expensive type of deal. Uh That because- is the tension in the system. Like every argument I have about greatest gen con is about how, what can we do to lower the price? Right, um, and and the 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 real killer app of that is that we have we have a friend with a space now, <laughs> so we can uh, we can defray a lot of the like, huh? What's this? Like the the there's margin built into the question of what do you want to do again? Right, exactly, and. Um, so 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 things are looking good for it, but uh, we're still you know there's still lots of lots of details that need to be hammered out, and it is <laughs> like I mean like we talked a few months ago about how it, like great the greatest generation is kind of a one day a week job for the two of us. Mm-hmm. It's starting to feel like more than that. <laughs> oh, I completely agree. I mean, for the past few months, I haven't had a lot of video work, and I don't know if it's like this for you, but I either get a lot of video work all at once, or I will go six weeks with relatively little to do. Yeah. And now, it's like July into August is going to be, I'm going to be totally slammed with both tour and con and actual real work. So, I'm going to be so ready to go out on tour is what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think that part of it is that like when you have free time, as I have as well, lately, um, it's really easy to just kind of like fill a day with like, oh, now I'll check the Facebook group, and now I'll work on that edit. Now I'll like try to come up with a merch item. Now I will email somebody about a sponsorship. You know, <laughs> like it. It's it's one of those things where I can kind of always think of something to do with relationship to greatest gen, but also like maybe that's uh maybe I'm being a little excessive. I don't think so. I mean, this is the sort of project where it always feels like something could be done at any yeah. given moment. I, man, this might be like getting too dark or deep for you, but like, I don't feel like I have had a successful day in a very long time because like the way I define success in many ways is like getting it all done. Yeah. And there's just too much to do to get all of it done. Yeah, I mean, greatest gen is not is not that. It's more of a. I mean, it's like um, right. I mean, I get the satisfaction of finishing an edit just like right. you do, and that feels like those those little wins along the way really help. But these longer term projects like tours and the con are something else entirely. Yeah, and and I think we've both, you know, gotten used to 
careers where our projects are relatively lots shorter than what we're doing now. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like a, like planning a tour several months in advance, like, like knowing what I'm going to be doing three months from now is a totally alien experience to me, <laughs> you know? Yeah, the rewards are far different, too. I mean, I've never completed a video project that felt as good as a crowd laughing at a dick joke. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it feels really And good. I really love video projects, so. Yeah. That says a lot. It does. It's. It feels a little bit like uh, like wrenching on an engine or something to, to draw a comparison to something I know nothing about. Like, like to some extent making making the show feels like maintenance where I can kind of just walk around and like tighten a bolt here and check, check the oil there and like, and it kind of runs itself. But there's also but this always, is, this is tinkering. Yeah. There's always tinkering to be done. It's Zen and the art of podcast maintenance. Let's write a, let's write a best-selling self-help book at him. That's our next project. <laughs> you know, like there's been the proliferation of podcasts and podcast people, but one thing I haven't seen in, you know, whenever a a new thing gets zeitgeisty, there's always the person that builds a career around consulting about that thing. Yeah. You don't see a lot of that in the podcast space, I don't think. Or or am I just not seeing it? Like there's I, not the I think there's that's not the leech. There. There's yeah. there's definitely a few companies that are like we will you know take take a three hundred thousand dollar retainer to make a make a podcast for your sinister banking organization or whatever. Mm. Well, at the expense of giving away three hundred thousand dollars in consultancy fees, I'll just say this. <laughs> uh, if you're interested in doing a podcast, get a couple of mics and find a buddy and make your show because it, uh, it's about the greatest thing ever. It is. I, you know, I was thinking about what makes our show work. And I think that one of the things that's most important to me about it is just getting to belly laugh at shit you say all the time. Like if, if you have a friend that you can't stop laughing when you're around them and by some stroke of luck the same is true in the other direction like you've got something magical there and you can bottle it so other people can enjoy it i feel the same way and like the thing with what has been bottled for this show that is strange is that we are not proximal friends we are long distance friends yeah and so i wonder how much of that is critical to the success of our show like if you and i were hanging out all the time drinking porch beers and shooting (laughs) the shit like i'm not sure if the show would work as well as it does because this is our porch it's possible but we've also had like extended hangs now like you know on our tour last year and we went to max fun con and i mean i'm best friends with your parents-in-law yeah i I feel like that hasn't I i don't think that that's diminished the uh, no. the show. It's it's just given us more in jokes to say out loud on the air that nobody but us will understand. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Well, Adam, I feel like we've beat around the bush quite a bit in this fairly useless Marin Open. Do you want to? Yeah, we well, never go pod on pod, do we? Yeah, we. I mean, fairly may, masturbatory. Perhaps, perhaps we don't do it because it's. Uh, it's yeah, it's too masturbatory, too self-referential, not interesting or funny enough. Uh, so, unlike the episode we're about to watch, Ben. Yeah, all of those things in spades. It's season seven, episode five, almost a fifth of the way through the last season. It's Gambit, part two. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Mm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. Never give me the fraction, Adam. Yeah, I mean, we're, what I've done is invited 30 emails. <laughs> um, actually... Uh, uh, I'll tell you where you can take that correction. 206-984-4-FUN. <laughs> oh, poor Brian Fernandez. Sonny D's going to have to 
have to screen a lot of math correction phone calls. <laughs> I feel so like well, the gambit that the the eponymous gambit in this two episode <laughs> arc is this Riker and Picard kind of wordlessly playing at let's get in a firefight data like play along and data plays along so much of the deep behind enemy linesness of this episode are is just communicated with glances there's a little bit of like picard and riker in a condo on the ship you know talking about real shit and how they're going to conduct themselves going forward but so much communication is having is happening non-verbally in a pretty fun way. Like, I, there's code breaking on both sides. I totally agree. It's it's fun to see Data, like... I You know, like, this is subtle, but it, I think it's real character development for him, that he is able to catch what they're throwing at him. It's the sort of thing that you only get with a crew that's been together for a long time. Like, you could not expect Jellico to grok this. I don't like you. Yeah, Jellico's the guy that you like bring onto the improv team, but he hasn't he hasn't played with you guys before, so he doesn't you know doesn't really know like who to pimp and you know <laughs> what strengths to play to in the different in the different members of the group. Jellico's weapons are always on a hundred percent. So they do the thing where they they make it look good. Release inertial dampers and cut power to decks 31 through 37. Aye, sir. Set phasers to 25%. They squirt out a bunch of ketchup to make it look like they've been hit. Yeah. And Galen, a.k.a. Captain Picard, is explaining that like doing all this shooting is having is uh, taking a toll on the mercenary ship as well. Because they've had like some engine problems and stuff. So he's saying like, Maybe we should just bug out right now and not and not push the ship too hard. Like we have we've scored a hit against the flagship of the fucking Federation in our little dinky tick. Let's get the fuck out yeah. of here. Yeah, get out with her ahead, right? Yeah. And uh and the Romulan lady agrees. She's like if if we uh if we remain here we will be destroyed. And and so Captain Baran is like, All right, well, let's get out. Like they didn't get all the relics that they came to to steal, but he's uh, willing to you know f- bug out and fight another day. I think <laughs> bug this... out appropriate because their ship looks like a tick. <laughs> <laughs> I think this marks the this marks something of a streak for Baran, who has at every turn offered up a course of action and then been rebuked by his crew with a better <laughs> idea. Like, I can't think of an idea that Baran has had where everyone's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Let's do it. All his ideas are wrong. He's only Captain. All he's, he's got, got is the shock collars. Yeah, and, they, and that's, been, that's been discussed. I think even in last episode, Picard is saying to the Romulan lady, the shock collar is the only thing keeping him in power. He is the power grows from the barrel of a gun Maoist captain of this ship. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, maybe maybe in some ways, like a thing that this episode arc explores is, is that a good leadership style? And I think f- fairly compellingly comes down on the side of no. Yeah, you're not going to uh, you're not going to find Baran's leadership book in an airport bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> the Art of the Steel by Arctus J. Baran. <laughs> How to win friends and influence people. Using shot colors. <laughs> yeah, Baran, Baran later in his career got in big trouble for defrauding a lot of students of his Baran University. <laughs> Turned out to just be a big scam. Baran's pretty hip to the idea that he's not very well liked. Yeah. And so he's like, he, he like sort of grooms Riker. He's like, look, man, this Galen guy has been a problem for a long time. I think he might be stirring up some mutinous vibes. What's so the deal? You... Picard was like doing a, he was like on vacation doing some archaeology when he got kidnapped by these guys. That's just it. That beginning is so thin. He is valuable enough to have a secret service detail around him at all times, right? Yeah. it's Captain it, of the flagship. It's kind of nuts that the, that Baran and everybody else is not aware of who Captain Picard is. It seems like if you're yeah. going to be running some pirate shit in federation space you should know about like 
who might be hunting you. There's no vacation you can go on where you don't bring an ID, right? Yeah, does he have his dog tags up his butt or something? <laughs> I don't know. He went, he did another fucking vacation with no com badge, didn't he? He really likes to go off the grid. This is not a smart move. No, and it's not like wherever he goes to do archaeology, he's taking a shuttlecraft, right? Right. Like, how does he not have Federation materiel anywhere around him? Yeah, you would think that he would have even a runabout or something. Doesn't he have a captain's yacht? Where's his yacht? Yeah, we never see that yacht getting used. But all that is to say, Baran does not is not at all aware of what Picard's bona fides are, but he does think that Riker is this kind of like disaffected Starfleet guy. And so he thinks that Riker can be useful for doing shit that is Starfleet related. But also like he says he says to Riker like Galen aka Picard hates your guts, but maybe like get to be friends with him because if there's a mutiny, he's gonna be he's gonna be on team mutiny. I wanna know who else is on team mutiny. Uh, you find that out, and then once you've found that out and we finish our mission, I want you to kill him. This is information that Riker is happy to share with Picard as Galen later on. When Picard is ga- as Galen tells Riker, you should get close to Baran. <laughs> Figure out what that guy, what makes that guy tick. <laughs> And see if we can't, between the two of us, figure out how to usurp his leadership. And Riker's like, wait a second. Am I on am I on Team Baran or am I on Team Picard? Or am I like secretly on Team Picard? And throughout the episode they're punching each other in the face. <laughs> like that's fun. Yeah. Like <laughs> they have to really enjoy that as characters. They they spend a lot of time beating the shit out of each other for Baran's benefit. Yeah. <laughs> it's good times. They never talk about it. Yeah, do they... Is is Riker pulling his punch and Picard just selling the shit out of it? Yeah, I mean... And then, like, later they go, like, that was a nice one. Like, I think you really bought that. Or or are they really punching each other? Neither of their faces look like they've been hit in a way that is credible. Like, there's no nose bleeding. There's no cut across the uh, the cheek. Right. I mean, that's hard. it's hard to know whether that's just you know, TV canon or that they are in fact pulling their punches. Because as we discussed in the episode where I talked about my former roommate who stole art and got beat up for it, your face stays really fucked up for a long time if you get punched really hard. There are varying degrees of severity when it comes to getting punched in the face. Yeah, I got punched in the nose one time and it didn't really damage me much, but it did break my glasses. Maybe my glasses took most of the most of the force. God, getting punched in the face wearing glasses seems so dangerous. Yeah, I, like, I, I didn't even have time to say, you wouldn't punch a guy wearing glasses, would you? <laughs> Did you wear them home? I cannot see at all without my glasses. I am very, very nearsighted. So, uh, Were you some... the actor who had to wear glasses on stage? <laughs> uh, what do you mean? Tell me an acting story, Ben. No, no, no. I didn't, I didn't get a prescription until I was in high school, which was well after the majority of my school play career was over. Mm, I see. I mean, I wore them in college when I was taking that acting class, but... I didn't like glasses when Brad Pitt wore them either. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to see how long you kept that ball in the air before snatching it. (laughs) The other crew that is having tension is the crew of the entrepreneur um Worf is not super pumped about the way data is running the investigation and is like Worf is is champing at the bit you know like he wants to fucking ride out and cut some heads off he wants to hit some dudes in the chest with batliths he's sort of feeling the Riker vengeance vibes yeah if data had gotten abducted in the next round of hijinks and Worf got left in charge like the ship would be at full war mode right now you know they would be it like would be just indiscriminately shooting torpedoes all over the place yeah separate the saucer section we're fucking killing everybody <laughs> I'd kind of like to see that episode <laughs> the episode where Worf gets just totally unhinged and goes on a vengeance quest the episode where we run out of torpedoes <laughs> 
what they what they realize is that there was some data hidden in a carrier wave that Riker used when they uh, had their little phaser battle in space. I guess they had Riker try to use his command codes to take over the entrepreneur, but the command codes had been changed, which is like the first time maybe in the history of the show I've heard of the Federation having a good security policy. Yeah, good job. I've worked for a couple of media companies, Adam, and when I stopped working at one of them, all of the passwords to everything changed. And it wasn't that I was like trying to get back into the system, but like there was some like employee thing that I had to fill out and I like couldn't even get back into their HR thing to do it because <laughs> all of the passwords changed. I've worked for other media companies that have no such policy and it's like, oh, I can still fucking administer your Facebook page that millions of people go to. Like, guys. Yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> not smart. This is a good policy. Change the command codes when somebody is out of pocket. And so they find that the command code thing was, in fact, a gambit. Oh, that's why they call it that. Uh, to conceal some coordinates for another planet. So Worf is pumped because they have a you know, an actionable clue and they know that they can beat the bad guys to the planet. The second data agrees to pursue this clue. Worf is fairly gleeful. Finally. That they're not sitting around doing science the way data wants to anymore. <laughs> this precipitates a pretty intense showdown in the ready room where data kind of has a talking to like a pretty on point talking to with Worf that like, Worf is being like fairly disrespectful of his authority and fairly blatantly in front of the rest of the crew. I think part of it is that under their breath to Worf means something totally different to most <laughs> other people. <laughs> like Worf basically does a full volume. Jesus Christ. Finally. <laughs> like in full, in full view of everyone. Yeah. This is the scene I was talking about uh before. This is the scene that I that I ruined in part 1 of this podcast, which was like the different ways that you can be a first officer for someone. Like the argument that your job involves covering for the captain, providing alternatives for the captain, and doing so in a way that maintains like decorum and the chain of command is a thing that I know Worf understands. Sure. But his way of doing that is just very different from how Data did it. And from after talking to Data, how Riker does it. And Worf really realizes how how off he's been. I think that it, it's, it's such an interesting scene because Worf is justifiably pissed off. He's probably embarrassed that he let Riker get grabbed. And he's just... He just really wants to get the problem solved as fast as he can. And I think Data is looking around the bridge and he's going, there's a bunch of yellow shirts on this bridge. This is not feeling right to most people. So yeah. we've got to like kind of manage, like we got to make them feel like this is okay. Like cooler heads are prevailing here. Right. This is like Secretary of State as president. Like how fucked up does it look on the bridge? to see command fall to the third in line. You've got to be even more rigid in how you treat people and situations at that point. It is a really interesting position for Data to be in. And this is the scene that explores it. And I think this scene is really well written. Agreed. I like that uh, when Worf, you know, Worf is leaving and Data, like, as an aside, says, like, I am sorry if I've ended our friendship. And Worf turns around and says, no, like... It is I who has jeopardized our friendship, not you. It's big of them to call attention to it and move past it. I think so often in the work environments that we frequent, you just don't work with that person again, if you can help it. Like, you don't crew them anymore. Yeah. And and in that way, like... I am very familiar with that higher. choice. <laughs> like, the stakes are higher there, because you don't have the conversation, you just don't get a phone call. Right. And this is a better way to address that. But great scene. Great scene. Captain Picard is doing his little, his little, uh, you know, he's like running around the ship trying to convince people about a mutiny plan. Uh, the guy that invented the hacky sack, I think his name is Narek. Um, 
is like, yeah, like, mutiny's a great idea, but... They're not gonna follow you. And Ricard's like, oh, really? Who will we be following? And uh, he says, well, my money is on Talera. And smash cut to Picard alone in his science room, and Talera, the Romulan, comes in with a dustbuster, and she is, uh, she's like, I've got you dead to rights. You're not who you claim to be. I want to know who you are and what you're doing here. She found the, uh, the, the secret message. Picard is in a pinch, and the only thing Picard can do is cop to it. Yeah, there's no, there's no other way to play this. Yeah. I mean, I guess, she, I guess he could have blamed it on Riker and let Riker get fragged, but that, that'd be a dick move. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you do if you want to live, though. <laughs> I think his chances are diminished by making his admission. But by making his admission, uh, Talera also admits her truth, which yeah. is that... He pulls down his is... pants, and then she turns around and pulls down hers. She's like, yeah, I'm not Talera at all. I'm Paul, and I'm on this hunt. Are there any female Vulcans not named Paul? Yeah. What yeah, the hell is going on with that? Yeah, very common name. I love that Talera tells Picard that her name is Tapal, and then Picard calls her Talera, like, in the very next breath. <laughs> did you notice that? I did not notice that. So they have this conversation, and she is Vulcan intelligence, and she is tracking a group of Vulcan separatist extremists who have hired... Uh, Baran to get all these artifacts and what they're trying to do is assemble this thing called the Stone of Gaul which is a terrifying Vulcan weapon that works on the principle of psionic resonance and it can do bad things it's like a it's like a super weapon and that's what Picard's been scanning all that pottery for and so She's basically counting on Picard. Like they're they're like, all right, eye to eye. Like we're both on the same side. We're both undercover in this thing. Let's fucking make sure that these maniacs on on planet Vulcan don't get this terrifying weapon. Because if they do, it's back to the bad old days. Like they are trying to isolate Vulcan from the rest of the world, and they're willing to be violent to do it. It is a guiding principle with Darth Vader's base. Have you got? Okay, so they have one piece of this item, and they need three total to put it together to complete the, the puzzle to, to make the weapon. Right. Enter from stage right a Klingon on a shuttlecraft. A Klingon on a very distinctly non-Klingon-looking shuttlecraft, too. It looks like, like a 1920s elevator car. <laughs> like, I want to know everything about the shuttlecraft. He's... <laughs> He stole it from Willy Wonka. Yeah, it looks great. It is piloted by the six foot nine James Worthy. You play basketball for the Los Angeles Lakers. This is what I want Klingons to look like. I want them to Absolutely. be way bigger than everybody else. Agreed. It's and really... shot for scale too. The way they shoot him, they make him look nine feet tall. Yeah, he's always he's always like three feet further in the foreground than everybody else, so he looks extra yeah. big. They also do some great, like, over-the-shoulder while he's still on the ramp to Dr. Crusher. So, you know, he's, like, essentially up on an apple box talking down to her <laughs> and really towers over her. It's great. Like, the one thing you want if you're using a non-professional actor is to give them a minimum amount of dialogue, and that's what they've done here for mm -hmm. James Worthy. They've given him a Patrick Warburton amount of dialogue, I would say. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. You're not going to read anything on the in, on on the flight? No. <laughs> Perfect Warburton. <laughs> that's a real nice P-war there, Ben. <laughs> They've used a provision in the Klingon Federation Treaty that allows them to take his ship on board the entrepreneur to do a health and safety inspection. And uh, amidst, uh, amidst that, they are tossing his ship looking for relics because they know that that's what Baran is after. But 
they they don't on the entrepreneur have any any clue as to what's going on with the Vulcans. Like they're they're just trying to figure out how they can get Riker and Picard back. So the entrepreneur crew is you know tossing this ship. Data and Troy take the uh, take the Klingon guy up to the uh, observation lounge to like entertain him while <laughs> while this search is taking place. And that is when a mercenary crew led by Riker beams into the shuttle bay and uh, Picard runs into the shuttle and is like, Relic's not here. We got to go. We got to go find the, the Klingon. He must have it on his body. They beam up to the observation lounge. They find the Relic on the Klingon. And then to ensure their escape... Picard calls Riker on his shit and he's like, you haven't had our back the whole time. I'm going to end this right here. And Picard shoots Riker in the observation lounge and then beams away with the boarding party. Yeah, it's pretty badass. Doesn't, isn't there some shit where like, this is where Riker is going to theoretically kill Galen? Yeah. Too? I love how Riker apologizes for shooting Worf and Beverly on the shuttle bay for that, but that front zips that takes one to the dome, like as soon as they beam on, gets no such apology. No. Like he is dispatched immediately, super disposable, dispassionately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, so so Riker stays stunned on the ship, and Picard and the other aliens. They've got the guy that invented hacky sack and two kind of randos. They all beam back to the mercenary ship, and and uh, the game is afoot because now they've like mostly assembled this this terrifying weapon. I feel like many many times in this two parter, they have the choice to follow the ship, and they're like, "Let him go. <laughs> we'll figure this out from here." Yeah, well, they've got Riker, so he's gonna know what's up, right? A Riker that they know to be alive, but that the Raiders believe is dead. Yeah, which is great news. Like that's a that's a great little little edge that that they've got. And the other edge they've got is that the entrepreneur is at full warp capacity, while the bad guys uh, have a greatly limited top speed. Yeah, they kind of have a jalopy. Yeah, they're always having engine problems. Their bridge looks really good, but the the ship don't work so good. I think Baran just isn't isn't uh, on a good maintenance schedule. You know, like he just drives right past that ten thousand mile oil change and does not take it into the dealer for a servicing. You know, you're not going to get a uh, hundred thousand light years driving your starship like that. <laughs> no, you know, it's just about building it into your monthly budget. You got to assume that you're going to have some some maintenance costs. With any starship. I read that uh, this was a battle bridge redress. No way. I hate that they redressed the battle bridge because it means the battle bridge probably isn't coming back. Hmm. I love that battle bridge. Yeah. Battle bridge I love the battle bridge because uh, navigation and con are in the most reclined positions. <laughs> They're like basically lay flat beds. Lean back. Yeah. Um, that actually, there's something in the, in the show Bible that, uh, that lists the sets that they like keep built. And then there's like other sets that they can build or rebuild, but they, you know, like cost money. So they, Oh, Ben, can we do a little mid episode Bible study? It's good to see you all in church. It's called the Bible. That's the way God wants it. I don't know why, dude. All these questions? Is a little blind faith too much to ask? Oh, here. How interesting. Note, this is not a standing set and costs money to reconstruct. In extreme emergency situations, the saucer section of the entrepreneur detaches from the warp drive section of the ship in order to seek safety, enabling the captain and minimum crew to face the danger. Control of the warp section is maintained from the battle bridge, a much smaller auxiliary bridge as compared to the main bridge. Like the main bridge, there's a captain's ready room adjacent to the battle bridge. Who knew? I don't think we ever see that secondary yeah, I don't think ready so room. Either. That would have been fun. No money in the budget. It's all across the street. Yeah. 
We're using it as a blindfold for the bust of Gene Roddenberry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they get back to this bridge and Galen, a.k.a. Picard, is rip shit about the fact that Riker betrayed them over there. And he says he suspects that it was Baran's idea. And this is the mutiny scene. I have something else for you, Baran. And Baran is like, well, I'm going to have to zap you then because I can't I can't have you mutinying in the middle of this important mission. And he very dramatically presses the button and not Picard, but Baran succumbs to the pain ray. Picard totally snoop dogged him because when you try to zap Picard, you zap yourself. <laughs> no. Another way of putting it, Adam, is that Baran got schizoid. Are we really supposed to believe that Baran allowed his belt buckle to be taken and reprogrammed so that it would zap him instead of anyone else? It's a pretty big leap. Why would Baran even have the fucking implant? That's ridiculous. Don't get the implant if you if you don't want to... <laughs> accidentally zap yourself baran if you can't take the implant heat get out of the implant kitchen (laughs) don't do the implant crime if you can't do the implant time don't fake the funk on a nasty implant (laughs) sure one of those will stick they're all staying, Ben. My love is a peepot longing till for that which longer nurses the disease. So they're heading to Vulcan, and Picard slash Galen is now in nominal command of the mercenary ship. And um, that's kind of a surprise. Like, Talera was the one that had the crew's faith when she wasn't in command, but Picard is a compelling leader like he gives orders with utter self-confidence and they really just fall in line he captains not like galen but like picard i would argue that he is picard as captain of the ship totally like he acts exactly the same and commands the same amount of respect because of it it's funny because his character like he he is definitely playing a role as galen he is not right he is not acting the way picard would act and that is for Baran's benefit. But the second Baran is gone, all of that artifice falls away. Yeah. And his, you know, the natural leadership that he never let the rest of the crew see just comes in in full effect. And they're like completely helpless in the face of it. Maintain our present course and speed for now. I'm going to find out when and where we're supposed to deliver our cargo. Hi, Captain. So they're heading off to planet Vulcan and Riker gets on FaceTime with Vulcan security and he's like, hey guys, I have some bad news. The bad mercenaries that uh, that you've been tracking are on their way to Vulcan. The good news is that your secret agent to Paul, uh, I'll, I'll let you do the math on which lady that is because apparently all women on your planet are named to Paul, but... Uh, <laughs> Your secret agent that you have on the mercenary ship is, uh, is, is you know, keeping track of the situation. She's there with them. It's all good. And the guy's like, well, see, that's just the thing. While there are millions and millions of Vulcan women named T'Pol, <laughs> we don't have anybody stationed on any mercenary ships undercover. <laughs> the administration it would take to figure that out. I can't imagine. Yeah, like, could I have the last four of T'Pol's <laughs> Soch to confirm this? <laughs> and then on the mercenary ship, Picard is like, he's putting all these little pieces together. He's got the, the two relics, and he's like, this relic is really weird because it's got the Vulcan god of death and what's the other one? God of... uh <laughs> Yeah, the god of war and the god of death, but there's like a a very obvious place where there's another piece that's missing, and I wonder what goes there. Like, can you shed some light on this, given that you've been on this case for so long? You must know what's going on. 
T'Pol's like, it's probably nothing. <laughs> no bigs. Yeah. Well, like, Picard plays this very well, but he's got her dead to rights, right? Like, right in this moment? Yeah, because she, at this point, has been as tra- as transparent as one could hope her to be when you're in, like, a group of thieves. Like, she seems to be somewhat credible up to this point. But, but the moment she becomes unwilling to share what knowledge she clearly has, uh, that's when she becomes untrustworthy. Well, it's not just that. If this is... If these are pieces of a very dangerous weapon, let's replicate some fakes and take those down. Mm. You know? Like... Oh, good thinking. What the fuck are we doing assembling this? You know, why are we carrying water for these terrorists if what this ultimately builds is something that we'll have no control over? Yeah, these guys are really bad mercenaries. <laughs> they uh, they pull up to Planet Vulcan and they beam down to this, like, secret cave that had some significance in the last civil war on Planet Vulcan from way back in the day when the Vulcans were a warlike people. And T'Pol's got the other pieces. There's no other Vulcans there, right? No, it's just a box full of cash. Yeah, they, they, she pays the uh, the mercenaries, but it, it's it's substantially less than, than they were expecting W slash R slash T remuneration for all their trouble. It's just all die packs. <laughs> I like it. Spin this. <laughs> the thing that we talk about with heists is that, like, the more the more of your guys die, the better for you. And yeah. a lot of the guys have died, so they should be like, well, it's less than we expected, but our each of our share is worth more. Yeah. So at least there's that, right? Yeah, but when when there's a box full of cash, you need at least one bill to cover the die packs. And <laughs> this is when it's all die packs, there's nothing to spend. <laughs> I wish I knew someone who worked at a bank. I want to know more about that stuff. The secret die pack stuff? Yeah. Yeah, they must train you to do the die pack, right? Yeah. They don't yeah, keep that thing. Yeah, and it's in so many movies. They don't keep that thing armed, sitting around, right? Like you've got to, you must have to do something to it when you're putting it into the money bag. I don't know. That's why I thought, you know, in so many heist movies, they say leave the leave the bottom half of the pinch of bills you're gonna take out of the till. No bills off the bottom of the drawer, please. That would seem to indicate to me that the die pack is always armed. It's just and in there. You don't want to, you don't want to move it or jostle it or or take it out of the thing. Hmm. Maybe removing it from the till arms it. Whoa. I think the only way we're really going to be able to get to the bottom of this, Adam, is if we rob a bank. I'm prepared to do that. <laughs> it'll it'll be a tax write-off because it'll be research. It's one of those things where the uh, the conclusion forgives all of the crimes that led up to it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the So this is like the guy that invented Hacky Sack and the lady that looks like a bad guy in Double Dragon down here in the cave with them and they're like nah like we're not letting you take your little relic without giving us the full amount that we agreed to and T'Pol is like alright well now that this is assembled let me show you what uh, what the downside of being ungrateful for your small amount of money is and she aims this thing at them and this like blob of like Miss Buttersworth syrup <laughs> <laughs> comes out and hits hits the guy that invented the hacky sack and it like tosses him like 30 feet back. <laughs> like it goes from being like one of the worst digital effects to one of the most violent wire effects you've ever seen. These guys really get kicked. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and the, I think the first guy actually, like, there's a piece of rockery in the back. He sort of rolls over on top of it. Yeah. Like, it's sort of a compound stunt. That can't have been fun. No. Yeah. No, there's no way that feels good at any point. It's the slowest weapon of all time, though, right? <laughs> it kind of is. It's like, just fucking step out of the way. It's it's like, it takes like four four Mississippi before it actually hits you. 
it also like the defense for it is the Ghostbusters 2 defense. Like like think happy thoughts. <laughs> Get in that Statue of Liberty and walk around a while. And the most unlikely outcome is the idea that Worf would have enough happy thoughts to keep this thing from killing him because this thing I guess feeds on, amplifies and redirects uh, violent and negative thoughts towards the victim. Yeah. And so by by being super chill, Picard is able to shrug off its effects. Riker's yeah. able to shrug it off. And Obviously, so Riker just thinks about fucking for a second. That's what I was thinking. Like, what if on Riker, it just sort of coalesces around his groin <laughs> and just starts hammering that groin? And, and you just. Like, speed bagging it? Just ECU of his face as his eyes cross and, his, <laughs> and, his, and he catches a little smile on his face. Like the time he got the uh, the suck disc rig put on. <laughs> Worf is like, I'll have what he's having. <laughs> I am the cutest of all. There are four lights. So Paul just keeps trying, though. She's grabbing this thing harder. She's crossing her eyes. It's not having any effect. Yeah, and... And Picard, who is still calling her Talera at this point, <laughs> yeah. uh, is is like, is like, don't you realize, like, the reason this thing doesn't work is because it became useless when Vulcans went uh, to the peace plan. Like, if it, it only works on people who are violent, and if you're and if you have logic and and you're peaceful at heart, it's it, it's not useful anymore, and that's why it was disassembled. Yeah, so why don't you try being nice for a change? It turned out she was one of the bad guys all along, Adam. That was the big reveal, wasn't it? Yeah. So whatever happens to her, do you think? I don't know. The like her her move when she realizes that this is not gonna this is not gonna fly as a as an attack is so like bad guy in Scooby Doo. She yeah. she literally clenches a fist and goes, <clears throat> Doh! Yeah. The parenthetical in the script is Axe Defeated. Disappointed! <laughs> I don't understand her plan. Like, was she supposed to be Chief Baddie if she was able to get this weapon to work? Was she actually going to sell it? Were there actually other separatists that were part of her plan, or was she like that's, a solo actor? That's just it. I don't know if we can believe any of that. I think she was the solo actor. I think she brought everyone down to the planet surface to kill them. She was either the solo actor or the budget was too tight to hire a bunch of other people to play Vulcans that were part of the plan. That's fair. Because if you, if you have Vulcan budget, you want to make sure you spend it all on that one Vulcan from Star Trek 3 and 4. <laughs> yeah. In, instead of like four or five anonymous Vulcans. Right. So the button on the episode is there's kind of a walk and talk in the hallway with Picard, Data, and Riker, and they're kind of they're kind of summing up all of the exposition of how how the episode is has being is being wound down. The bad guys are in custody. The artifact is being taken apart again. There's like lots of historical value to it, but. First thing is to check it into, you know, the weapons locker at the precinct, and um, Picard is like, "All right, well, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna take care of some personal shit, and then I'll catch you guys on the bridge." And and uh, Data's like, "Well," and then uh, and Riker's like, "Technically, you're not actually in command of the ship right now, Captain." Captain Picard is like, "Well, you actually have a point, but if uh, if we're being truthful, neither are you." Are either of them wearing the neck thing in this scene, or have they already been removed? I think they're... Let me look. Yeah, I was yeah, just going to pull that removed. up, too. Yeah, they, Picard still has his Renfair costume on, but they don't have any neck pips. You never know when you're going to want to wear that again. You probably throw that <laughs> in the back of the closet. Yeah. You're just a ball gag away from a complete uniform. Yeah, if he meets another astrophysics officer that he wants to bang, he's he's got some kinky shit that he can get into with him. Yeah. God, how great do you think that shower is for Picard after all this? You're wearing oh, all that leather? That leather doesn't breathe. There's nothing 
that feels better than a shower when you know that Riker is being taken to the brig <laughs> by your humorless android second in command. <laughs> so satisfying. Speaking of satisfaction, Ben, were you satisfied with this episode? I was. I think it's a much better episode than the first part. And um, I like the first part pretty good. So, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I mean, in totality, it's pretty good. I think that the maybe the biggest knock against it is that the villain winds up being a little dumb. Like, she should yeah. have had a plan for... How, like. And I don't know how to solve for this, right? Like, how do you have the artifact mostly assembled on the mercenary ship and convince Picard that the thing to do is to take that stuff down to the planet's surface and reunite it with the other part of the artifact? Yeah, there's a math to that scene that I don't think they got right. There's a way yeah. to make that work that that in its current state it doesn't hang. Yeah, like maybe you replicate a fake, but then you do a switcheroo with the real piece. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't take more than another bit or, bit or two of dialogue. You don't need to add cast to this to no. make that work. Yeah, but uh, if if that hadn't been... If, if that hadn't popped into my head while I was watching it, I think it would have been a pretty solid episode all the way through. Yeah, I think mostly the thing that I like the best about these two episodes are the the characters acting against type like it's mm-hmm. it's sort of meta acting it's a it's an actor acting as a character who's trying to act like something else and yes yeah. that's very satisfying when in the hands of such good actors indeed ben one thing that would satisfy me greatly is to read a couple of p1s do we have any of those i assure you that we have p1s priority one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel need a supplemental income Supplemental. 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 Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have two Priority One messages here. The first one is from Matt and the Ragged Remnants of Humanity hiding in the West Virginia Hills in late 2019. And it is to Adam and Ben in mid-2017. Oh, no! (laughs) We have another message from the future. Please give us advice. It goes like this. If you're reading this, there's still hope. Ben, Adam, it's about Raz and Plevim. They're you. You (laughs) from the Mirror Universe. The gross one with bare arms Picard and the goatee Spock. (laughs) Their P1s are really coded messages to their minions giving orders for launching a doomsday plot that begins at your upcoming live... Oh, Jesus. They found us. Beware. And the message is cut off. Oh, no. That is chilling news, Adam. Well, the thing about messages from time travelers, Ben, is that, I mean, it doesn't help to change course, because what if by changing course we run into the same problem? Yeah. I'm fairly convinced that whatever is going to happen will happen. Uh, So you're a Calvinist. (laughs) I swear I'm not. Ben, our second priority message is from JMac. It is for D Halps. <laughs> Goes like this: Is life getting you down? Does it have you wearing a frown? Do you feel like the gravy train has left you behind? Don't worry about a thing. I've got the cure for all your blues. Just perform the JL pipes maneuver and have a great birthday. Oh, that is a. Uh... A little bit of a belated birthday, it says here. The goal was around June 11th, but uh, hopefully that belated birthday is uh, is no less heartfelt. Hang in there, D-Halps. There's no reason for those blues. Just grab the bottom of your shirt and yank over and over. <laughs> That'll get you through this. Yeah. Happy birthday. Well, if you'd like to wish somebody a happy birthday or warn them about a trans-dimensional plot to destroy everything, uh, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where a personal message is 100 bucks and a commercial message is 200 And those things are a great way to support the show. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. 
drunk, Shimoda. I did. Uh, we've talked a bunch about Data's very evident uh, advancement in his understanding of social situations in uh, this episode. The fact that he picked up on the subterfuge that Riker and Picard were engaging with. Um, but one thing we have not talked about is the fact that he cracks a joke and not just any joke, kind of a dad joke. <laughs> um, uh, when, when Riker, uh, takes the phaser blast and the rest and you know, Galen and the rest of the hair metal band beam off the ship, uh, <laughs> They've they've got Riker on the floor, and somebody says he's only stunned. And Data's response is, "I am experiencing a similar sensation." <laughs> Zing! Oh, jeez! <laughs> yeah, that's pretty great. How about yourself? Uh, my Shimoda is going to corral the James Worthy Klingon. Who has a great mm. scene in the observation yeah. lounge? Uh, Data's like, you know, while we're killing time here, maybe you would like to sample some of our blood wine, comma Klingon. <laughs> I believe you our, may enjoy this our very beef much. Beef sandwich, comma Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> and Corral takes his chalice of wine, holds it out from his body, and slowly overturns it, dumping it onto the floor. <laughs> And they didn't show the carpet, which was probably a good idea, because that carpet be expensive. Yeah. But I wonder what was actually happening under the table, if he was pouring <laughs> those into a bucket or not. Yeah. I, was I want some behind like a, the shot. I was picturing one of those gray TSA bins with yeah. like a towel folded up in it. Yeah. But uh, Yeah, because you don't want the splash out to stain the carpet either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that chalice that he had there looked unmistakably like one of the ones from the reception in Starship Mine. Yeah, that was full of yogurt raisins. Yeah. You know, that's something in in Starfleet like, they just have a warehouse full of those and they outfit ships and stations with them. Yeah, I love when you see that shit. The television show The Good Wife is shot like two blocks from where my apartment is and, um... And I guess now they're shooting the good fight over there. Mm-hmm. But uh, every so often you'll walk by and like the, the doors on the sound stages will be all up and you'll see the, the backside of all the all the sets. And uh, one time I was walking my dog past there and I walked past what I guess was the properties department. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the garage door was up and the shelf, the shelving system most near to it had just like every vase <laughs> that they use on the show. Cool. And I loved uh I, I I wanted to snap a phone pick and then like watch the show and like play bingo with all of the like thirty phases that <laughs> that I saw that day. Thought it would have been fun. There was an auction in Portland after the show Grimm went off the air. Mm. And it was in like a Boeing sized hangar. And the auction wasn't for film gear. It was for housewares and lights and lampposts and mailboxes and knives. And, like, you could probably outfit several homes with what they were selling at this auction. It's sort of, it's the thing you don't really think about when when you're staffing up a show, doing locations for a show, that art direction stuff. You gotta, you gotta house it somewhere. And there's a lot of it. I had a, a a shoot last year where I did a bunch of videos about barbecuing, and at the end of it, we had like a ton of nice kitchen stuff and two barbecues and like mm. you know all this like patio crap that was like nice stuff that you know you would like oh like I don't want to quite spend that much yeah. for myself yeah. kind of kind of stuff, and uh, I got direction from the executive producer like get rid of this stuff i don't really care what happens to it but we're not storing it so nice and so like i got to give a friend of mine like a 200 hundred dollar barbecue excellent yeah that feels good i love it when shit works out like that and 
Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode is Season 7, Episode 6, Phantasms. Data's first bad dream turns into a real-life nightmare for the rest of the entrepreneur crew. Do you remember this episode, Adam? Is this the one where Troy is a cake and there's a phone inside Data? Oh, is it? God, there's not many episodes left. That would be... I know. That seems like this would be the one. That would be the one, I I would imagine. It's like... It's like knowing someone's face and knowing someone's name at this point, and I rarely am able to connect those two. If, if someone's asking me about so-and-so, and I'm like, I think I know who you're talking about. This is what <laughs> we're talking about with these episodes. It's like, I don't know episode names, but I, I'm fairly confident that I can describe an episode story. Maybe that's it. A couple of years ago, I met just like randomly at a party a guy who knew all of the episode names, numbers, and seasons. Oh God! And I was like, I was like really blown away by that because that is just not a kind of information that my brain can hold on to. That is a special kind of knowledge that I just don't have. Yeah. 
a little intimidating. I was like, maybe I'm not a Star Trek nerd. Well, uh, do you want to watch that episode, Ben? Uh, I do. If uh, if if it's the episode where Troy is a cake, I want to watch it. <laughs> it better be the Troy is a cake episode, because I'm into watching it too. Okay. Well, it sounds like no vetoes will be deployed in this instance. There are people screaming into their podcast devices right now about <laughs> this not being the Troy Cake episode, I bet. Guys, that's not how podcasts work. It's kind of a one-way medium. <laughs> it's not like talking on the phone. Well, uh, one conventional way that our podcast ends every time is by uh, reading our credits, <laughs> which include... Uh, thanking Dark Materia for our theme and interstitial music as well as Adam Ragusea for all of our great extra music. We should thank all the beautiful viewers who have gone on Apple Podcasts and left us a nice review or wherever you leave reviews for podcasts. If uh, if you could leave us a nice review, that really helps raise the vis- visibility of our program and helps us find new viewers to uh, embarrass in public. Yeah, there are a lot of ways to support the show, like like those reviews. Uh, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash donate to help support the ongoing production of the show. You can get a Priority One message there. You can get a t-shirt or a glass. Yeah, one thing that we're doing with our upcoming tour is we're just going to do the tour t-shirt on the Max Fun store because we figured that the amount of shirts that we would need to take around would just be like totally impossible for the two of us to schlep. So there will be a merch table with other stuff uh, on the tour, but uh, our tour T-shirt will be available on the Max Fun Store. So uh, that will be available to everybody. Oh, that's great! I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So uh, go do that, uh, and with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. And an episode of The Greatest Generation that we kind of think we remember, but dreamlike. It's kind of slipping away as we try to access it, and, uh, and it just evaporates in our, into, into thin air. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.